Um, we are in this series that we kicked off last week that we are calling Unhindered. And I guess if the series comes with the tagline, the question we're asking ourselves is what would it look like to run an unhindered race with Jesus? What would it look like just to run our faith stride for stride, not breaking stride ever, but just chasing after him in a headlong way where we are so focused and fixated on him that, that we just chase him with our whole life? What would that be to, to throw off every obstacle, to get rid of all the things in our way and just follow after Jesus? And we've been using this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. We used this verse last week. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so what we said last week, the sermon last week, we said, we want to be a people who are laying aside the sin in our life. We're laying aside the weights that hold us down. Even the smallest ones will slow us down over a long time, won't they? And so we want to lay aside sin. We want to set aside distraction. We don't want to get distracted with good things God has made that he's given to us as a gift, but letting those things distract us or hinder us in our faith as we pursue after him. And we're going to keep our eyes focused on Jesus the whole time. And my sermon ended abruptly last week on purpose because we're going to focus more on that last piece today, how we fixate on Jesus. But before we get into the sermon, I want to ask this question. What if after last week, you heard this message, you came in here, it's a new year, new you, new things are going to begin. And you heard this message on laying aside sin, setting aside the distractions. But if you're really able to be honest, you just actually don't want to. What if you just don't want to change? What if you've tried changing before and it just hasn't worked with any staying power? So the only conclusion that you have left is that you're not able to change. I want to know for the people out here sitting in these seats right now in this room, who of us had heard last week's message and we just said, I just don't know that that's for me. And I want to remind you of why you're running the race today. I want to remind you of the prize. If you're running a race without a purpose, it gets really difficult to get towards the finish line. I remember the last time I, I ran in an actual race. It was homecoming of 2011, the fall of 2011, the last time I ran in a 5K. I've been in 5Ks since then. I uh, did uh, the Liberty Run with a lot of you with Life for the Innocent several years on the 4th of July. But if you noticed ever seeing me, I walked. <laughs> I was like, babe, I'll push the kids in the stroller. We'll have a good time. I will bring up the caboose of this whole thing. I remember running that 5K. I, I trained a little. Um, I remember the prize. The prize was, it was back in the phase of my life. I was, I was 21 years old. I would do anything for a free t-shirt. <laughs> and so like a normal logic, logic bearing 21 year old, I signed up for like a $50 entry fee to get a free t-shirt. Right, <laughs> right. I trained, I practiced, ran the race, was disappointed at how many kids, girls were passing me the whole time. And, uh, the race ended. We ran around CSU. It ended in CSU's Oval. You guys seen CSU's Oval before, right? I hope so. Uh, it's this just beautiful uh, park looking, scenery, trees everywhere. And I get, I get into the finish line. I, you know, as you come into the Oval on one side, you can see the finish line immediately on the other side. And so I think to myself, well, great, final lap basically, yeah. And so I, I've ran enough around a track before. I know what that final lap should feel like. And so I'm like, all right, let's give it this final kick, muster everything I got. I'm going to get into the finish line here. The only problem is CSU's oval is not a quarter mile. It's like a half a mile. And so by the time I got done with turn one, I was gassed. And, and I, I really, I'll never forget the amount of people that just passed me. 
time and time and time again as I basically crawled into then the finish line. That's a true story. And my point is this, you will lose heart, you will lose focus, and your pace will be off if you lose track of the goal or the finish line. Jesus is the, he is the finish line of our race. He is the prize that we're running after. And, and I know that we know that, and I know that we can rehearse that, and I know that's such a Sunday school answer, but I wonder if we can take it a level deeper in our hearts this morning as we're gathered together. All over the New Testament, we're going to hear about our faith referred to as a race or a competition. In Philippians 2.16, there's no slides for this, but if you're following along in version. We'll come to Philippians 3 in just a moment. You can also turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Philippians 2.16, Paul writes, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or I did not race in vain or labor in vain. 2 Timothy 4.7, as Paul's encouraging a young pastor by the name of Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Corinthians 9.26, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I want you, all you competitive or just leisure runners, to keep that verse in mind, all right? I don't just run aimlessly. I'm kidding. Is it just the cold? Are we okay? Okay. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. How many of you guys are fasting this week? And that was that phrase. I probably said that phrase myself a dozen times this week. I got hungry and I'm like, I discipline my body. I make it my slave, right? (laughs) Galatians 5, 7. Paul writing to this church that's so confused now with legalism after receiving the gospel of grace. He says, who you were running so well, Galatian church, but who hindered you from obeying the truth. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And the verse that we'll look at today, Philippians 3. Let me read it for you. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. This is probably a familiar passage to you if you've been around church for a while. It's on the screen, uh, or, or it'll be in the version app if you, can, if you have that on your Bible or on your phone. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for this passage. God, I pray that you would help us Mine out the truth of your scripture today. Help us consider you as the prize that we are running after, God. Help us not settle for anything less than you. God, I pray that we would, even in the midst of the cold and the the different kind of morning, the different kind of feel, Jesus, I pray that we would, would we come in here and would we experience a, a real and living God today? We love you so much and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, first thing that I see in this passage is that Jesus is our aim and our prize. He says, so not that I've already obtained this. What is this? Well, if you go back to the previous chapter, chapter three, he says, finally, my my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I love that Paul is consistently, always just saying, rejoice in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, remain in him. He's always using this phrase to remind us, to stir us up, to be reminded that, We are in Christ and Christ is in us and we should rejoice in him, be glad in him. 
He's like, I've reminded you this a hundred times, but it's good for you and it's safe for you for me to keep reminding you. And then what does he go on to say in chapter three? Well, he goes on to go through this list of the spiritual accolades that he has of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. And yet, what does he say? I count this all as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus and him crucified. Paul is so focused and so fixated on Jesus. And I just want to remind all of us today, if you make your race, if you make your striving, this is a good reminder while we're fasting. If there is something else that is the prize of your heart during this time that is not Christ, you will be running that race. You will be pursuing that effort in vain. Isn't it Jesus's words himself in Matthew chapter eight, I think. For what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? As in what good is it if you were to get every physical thing that you were ever after, every thing that your heart ever desired? What if you got all of it? What if God just said yes and he gave you everything that you were asking for and it was there? What would it profit you if you gained all of that, but you got it in a way where your soul forsook Jesus himself? The answer in that implicit question is it would be worth nothing. And that's the conclusion that Paul has in chapter three here in Philippians. And so he says, not that I've already obtained this, this upward call in Christ, this new life in the resurrection, not that I've already obtained it, this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I keep striving. I keep pressing. It's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Are you striving for Christ? Have you gotten complacent in your rhythms? Have you gotten complacent in your attitude, your disposition towards him? Or are you pressing in? Are you running after him? Your aim and your prize is Jesus. The whole point of the race is Jesus. He's the, he's the starting point of the race. He punched your ticket. He got you your entry fee, put the little bib on your shirt so that you could run. He's running with you as your friend. He's running with you as the one who is side by side with you in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the pain. And he is the finish line. He's the point of all of it. The point of my life on earth is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The point of my suffering is that if even everything else in my life gets stripped away, at least I have him and he is enough. The point of my gifts that God's given me are to glorify Jesus. The point of my failures are to show the world the grace of Jesus. The point of heaven is to show the worship of King Jesus on full display where there's gonna be no need now for the sun or the moon for all of those who have passed away and only the glory of God remains. And the lamp around the glory of God is the lamb. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 23. So the point of heaven is the unhindered worship of Jesus. He is the treasure. He is the prize. Here's the second thing I noticed about this verse. And we're gonna spend a little more time on this point is that as we focus on Jesus, sin loses its power. This is something I think we, we mix up all the time in our human hearts. And I understand why. I remember as a young Christian, first kind of reading my Bible for the first time. This was probably in my, my late teens, maybe early 20s. I'm reading through the Bible and I'm encountering verses. And you know what, you, what happens is you are living your life. Imagine whatever, whatever you 19, 20 year old kids are doing these days, right? You're doing your thing and you encounter a verse and you're like, oh, wait, it says not to do that. I definitely do that. I should stop doing that. And so what do you decide? You decide, I'm going to stop doing that. And then what happens? You do that. Am I right? You do that thing. And then in that moment, what happens is a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt kind of sinks into your heart. And if you're diligent in the word, you're diligent in study, you know, wait, okay, no, I've been forgiven of that. I don't have to hold on to that shame. And so it's okay. All right, I'm not going to do it again. And then what happens when you promise not to do it again is you for sure are going to do it again. 
And so you do it again, and now you have actually a little more shame and a little more guilt because you are now have been fooled twice, right? You know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? And so now I've been fooled twice, so there's more shame. And then you say, well, okay, I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get better. And then you're like, I'm never going to do that again now, only to be sure that you're going to do it again. And so in your effort to put sin to death, if you go back to the beginning, you had a starting point heartbeat that was good. He said, I don't want to sin. I want to be obedient to God's word. I want to take my thoughts and I'll make them obedient to Christ. I want to capture these things. I want to fall. I want my behavior to fall in line with Christ. And that heartbeat is good. But as soon as you step into your own power now to solve that sin, you fall outside of the gospel's power to help you do it. But if you now instead come to that sin, come to that behavior and you go, God, I desperately need you. I can't fix this thing and you stir up your desire for Jesus, and you stir up your hunger for Jesus instead, that's how you're going to be victorious over sin. But it doesn't make sense that way. And that's why Christians are so notorious for all these weird things, like the, the wristband that would snap every time uh, you have a lustful thought, or, or the, the, you know, put a dollar in the swear jar every time you say a bad word. I'm not saying those things are inherently wrong. I'm just saying they're not going to drive actually changing your heart. They might drive behavior modification for a while, won't they? That you, yeah, you start washing your kid's mouth out with soap every time they start using a bad word. Hey, listen, my mom will tell you, that'll change some behavior for a little bit in your house. <laughs> but did it change my heart? It, it has no ability to actually transform my heart. So how is focusing on Jesus going to help me in my ability to overcome sin? Let me explain it this way. I was talking with uh, Jerry Swanson. Jerry Swanson, I don't think he's here this morning. Y'all know Jerry Swanson, right? Gideon guy. Just God bless you. How you doing, brother? Always there with a smile and a hug. I love Jerry Swanson. I was talking to him this week. You know how long him and Donna have been married this year, September 4th? 60 years. Come on, that's amazing. Let's just, you know what? Pause the whole sermon real quick. Let's do the wedding game real quick. How many of y'all have been married 60 years in this room right now? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. The blacks? How long has it actually been? 63 years. Come on. Hey. And you're the luckiest of them all, aren't you? Yeah. I don't know if I'm more proud of you or more proud of Jan for staying there 63 years. That's incredible. How about you, young people in this room, single people in this room? Let's take note, actually, some of the people married 60, 63 years are hanging out in church. So if you're single in this place, I'd start eyeballing some other single people in church for a place to find a long wife, long husband. You know what I'm saying? It's beside the point, but it's actually right on the point for real. I bet if we sat down with Bob, I bet, I bet if we sat down with Mr. Swanson, they would, they would tell us that one of the keys to a long and lasting marriage is not you focusing on the things that you shouldn't do. Is, is my love for Katie measured by my ability to say no to other temptations in this world? No. My love for Katie is measured by my ability to steward and to, and to chase after and to pursue my wife. You want to have a good marriage, pursue your wife. Don't just, don't just like, like the goal is not me going to choose fitness and fashioning myself a pair of uh, spectacles that have these like little things on them. So I'm like, where are you, Katie? Where are you? I'm only going to focus on you today. No, the goal is that I'm so in love with my wife. Here's the key. The goal is that I'm so in love with my wife that those temptations don't even matter to me because there's nothing better than her. There's nothing that can get me off my game. I'm so focused on her. She is, I'm so clearly in love with her. If you were to talk to some of these people who've been married 50, 60, 70 years in this place, and there are some of them, what you will find is that they are so madly in love with their spouse. It's not that they're focusing on the things not to do. They're focusing on them. 
And so here's the key with Jesus. As we focus on Jesus, as we grow our affection and our love for Jesus, as we fixate on him, as we study him, as we understand more of the grace that he's given to us, as we understand more of the good things that he has planned for us, as the more that we understand what heaven's going to look like, we go, God, you are so good. I'm so in love with you. And then you know what happens? That distraction doesn't matter to me as much anymore because guess what? I could wake up and I could spend time with him. What else would I do with my time? I'm not going to give myself over to this thing because that, that, thing is, that thing is nothing compared to Christ. Does that make sense? You don't win the war on sin by focusing on sin. You win the war on sin by focusing on Jesus, by spending time with him, by cultivating a heart for him, by asking that he would stir up a hunger and an affection for him. Paul says this all over this verse. Verse 13, brothers, I don't, don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, in Jesus Christ. I'm straining towards him. Notice in this verse, he's like, man, if you want to win this race, if you want to finish this thing right, he's like, make sure you don't do this. Make sure you don't do that. He has other places where he warns us, but primarily what he's saying is you need to focus your race on Jesus. Focus on him. Chase after him. I can promise you this. You're still going to make mistakes when you follow after Jesus, for sure. You will. Guess what? Newsflash, for the rest of your life. Isn't that right, Bob? I don't mean to pick on you. Bob's my grandpa, okay? Like he's my grandpa-in-law, so I can pick on Bob a little bit. You'll make mistakes for the rest of your life. But if you focus on Jesus, like you're turning, you're turning the attention, you're turning the focus. The, the, the magnifying glasses aren't on sin. The magnifying glasses, the binoculars are up on Christ himself. And that's where our gaze gets locked. And as we do that, the things of this world go, grow strangely dim, don't they? Isn't that how the old hymn goes? And so we focus our eyes there. All right, the last thing that I see is that there is an urge from Paul in this verse to stay focused on the prize, stay focused on Jesus. He says in verse 15, am I doing that? Is it in my beard? My beard trying to swallow this microphone today? Okay, there we go. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Let us hold true to what we have obtained. Paul saying, stay focused on Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. Keep going after Jesus. Uh, there's so many words, even from Jesus himself, that say, hey, abide, remain in me. I think of John chapter 15 all the time, where it says, the tree that is, the branch that is detached from me will bear no fruit. But if you remain in me and I in you, that tree will bear plenty of fruit. Well, the, the key in that passage is that we are putting our effort not towards our own human exertion to do things like, oh, well, I'm going to really just muster up this fast, or I'm really going to do this thing. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pursuing where I'm putting my effort is making sure that I'm remaining in Christ, that I'm staying with him. And so my, my striving doesn't come from trying to be more righteous in my own accord. Does that make sense? My, my striving, my effort doesn't go, well, I'm going to just really clean my life up and get rid of this sin. No, but my, if I'm going to put effort anywhere, if I'm going to put striving anywhere, it's like I'm going to protect time to get into God's word. I'm going to make sure that Sunday morning is a priority in my calendar. I'm going to be there the first day of the week. I'm going to make sure that I have Christian community. I know there are plenty of people who want to be your friends. There are plenty of things that want to contend for your time, but, but I'm going to make sure that I choose Christian community that is steering me in a way that I start to want to be more obedient to Jesus because of the people that I'm hanging with. You fight 
to protect those things. And those are rhythms of abiding that you are placing in your life. And if you want to bear fruit, if you want to grow spiritually, then you need to position yourself close to the stream of living water. That is how you're going to do it. You're not going to do it trying to stir up your own righteousness. You're not going to do it trying to clean yourself up. Like if you try to clean yourself up, God says, you look like you're just wiping filthy rags all over yourself. You're not cleaning anything. But if you want to actually get clean from the inside out, it's not soap in your mouth that cleans you from the inside out. It's you going, no, I'm, I'm going to choose the practices, the things. I'm going to put these pieces in my life that stir up my affection for Jesus. And I'm going to remain close to those. I was journaling this week, thinking about, uh, honestly, this is my own personal prayer. Maybe this will resonate with you. Maybe it won't. I, I remember a time, I think it was probably like 2014, 2015, when I first read my Bible all the way through in a year. And, and I was really proud of myself. Aren't you proud of me? Like, it's it a long book, you know, I read the whole thing. <laughs> you can do it by reading three and a quarter chapters a day, by the way, if you want to do the math. Um, it's not hard. It takes 15 minutes, but that, that takes discipline. And I was reflecting on that. Like, God, I was like, man, it, it took some discipline for me to actually have that gear. I just, if I can be really honest with you guys, I did not have that discipline. I did not have that discipline throughout my 20s. It took till later in my life. So I finally got this discipline to go like, no, I am going to read my Bible every day. And praise God for the YouVersion app. I, I subscribe to the plan. It gives you a reminder. You check off the little boxes. And I'm, I'm like, just type A enough. That little progress bar moving that much every day. I'm just like, ooh, I'll, you bet I'll be back tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like day by day, little by little, you miss some, you make up some extra ones, whatever it takes. And then I, and then I get that final thing, like you complete the Bible reading plan. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. And I was reflecting on that this week. How, God, how do I help us be a more disciplined community? Even a lot of my goals right now, I want to be a more disciplined person. And I felt like God very gently just showed me it's not all about discipline. It's about desire. I, I want my discipline to serve my desire. And I don't want to only be a person of discipline. I want to be a person of desire. Here's what I mean. I, I want to desire the Lord. I want to, I want, I want to long for him in my soul. And I want that to overflow into the disciplines that I then put into my life. Not the other way. Sometimes I think it can work in the other way around. But if you make yourself all about just this, oh, like white knuckling this thing, first of all, like that's just not a really fun way to live, is it? Like I think Christianity should have some joy, should have some fun, maybe a little laughter mixed in every now and then. And if it's all just about discipline, like you've been to that church before, haven't you? You're like, man, where are the joy in these people? There is no joy in the house of the Lord, Phil Wickham. Thank you very much. We're moving on, right? But I'm like, it can't just be all fun though. And there has to be also, if I'm just all desire, oh, I just really want to be this person who loves Jesus. But if I don't have discipline, well, then I'm not disciplining my body, making it my slave like Paul talks about either. And so these two things have to work in tandem. And that was the conviction for me is God, help my discipline serve my desire and help my desire serve my discipline as I go forward in this fast. Man, there's like, I don't, I don't know what you're choosing to do during the fast. I don't know if you're choosing to do anything. If you, if you are just not doing anything, I would say there are still 14 days left. And there, 14 days are a lot of good days to do something. What is, what's the old Chinese proverb? Like, yeah, 30 years ago would have been the right time to plant the tree. But what's the second best day? Today. You should have started the fast last week, but what's the best day to actually start it? Today. Cut a couple meals out this week. Go off social media. Spend some time in the word. Spend some extra time in prayer. Get together with some friends you haven't seen in a while that you know are believers and will challenge you in your faith. What would that yield in season? Let's play the long game here. 
I want to stoke a desire. And listen, I get it. Some, some people are in this room and they are caught in a pattern where they think, I can't change. I've tried it before. And I'm hoping that God will meet you mightily in this time when we come into communion. But before we go to communion, I want to read one more passage for you as we kind of end things here. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is the verse I referenced earlier. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. The newsflash, this was not the PC 2020 world we live in where everyone gets a participation trophy, okay? Paul's talking about the actually competitive ancient Greek world, right? Where there was like the Olympics originated and stuff. It's like, guess what? One person wins, dude. Like, that's how it goes. Not all, not everybody wins mentality that we're living with now. He's like, no, one person wins. So run that you may win it. Let's ask it this way. Are you running after Jesus? Like you're the only one that can catch him? Listen, that's how I want to run after him. I want to run after Jesus where I'm like, no, even if it's just me and him, I'm I'm going for it. Every athlete athlete exercises self-control in all things. You can't just roll up to a basketball game. You can't just roll up to the track uh, field one day and just expect to win without some training. Your food matters. The way you prepare, the way you rest, all those things, they matter. And so in your faith, all these little things, they're not just little things, they matter. The way you feed yourself, the way you Sabbath, the way you take care of your relationships, all of those things are like an athlete helping you prepare for this race. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. You know what I got that year that I run the homecoming race? I didn't just get a t-shirt. Some of y'all know the glory of this. I got a long sleeve t-shirt that year. And that hits different, doesn't it? Those don't come up very often. You know where that t-shirt is today? It is uh, several miles to the northwest of here in a man-made mountain called the Lamar County Landfill. I don't have any more. I don't care. You know what I do want? The runners of this world, they run to receive a perishable wreath, but we Christians, an imperishable one. So don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know what I long for, for every single one of you? That one day you would walk up to Jesus and he'd put an imperishable wreath, like a crown on your head. And he'd say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That day is coming for every single one of us where we meet him face to face. And, and I, I want to be ready. I want to be running my race. I might be midway through the second mile of a 5K, which is the hardest mile of all of them, when Jesus comes back and that'd be glorious. I might get to the finish line before I see him face to face. I don't know when he's gonna come. I don't know when I'm gonna see him, but I want to be ready whenever that day may be. Amen? I want for you to receive that imperishable crown. And as we enter into a time of communion, the first thing that I want us to all focus on, obviously, is just the the gratitude and the amazing grace that Jesus has lavished upon us. That's why we receive communion every week. We, we, We do this in remembrance of him, that on that night with his disciples, he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and he drank of it. He took the bread, he broke it. He took the, uh, the drink, he poured it out. He said, this is my blood, this new covenant that I'm offering to you. And all of that reminds us that Jesus has washed us of our past. He's paid for our sin. There is no past sin that should 
slow you down anymore. You still may have earthly consequences for something that you did, but in heaven, that thing is blotted out, never to be remembered again because of the blood of Jesus. And then he's filled us up with his grace so that it, he would be sustaining us in this run as we go forward. And so as you receive communion today, you're gonna do it at your own pace. Um, I want you just to be reminded of that righteousness that he's given to you and reminded of that grace that he's continually giving to you. But beyond that, I wanna, I wanna leave a little time here to respond. And as we do that, I wanna read just a few stories, uh, a few testimonies. Um, I got a message on Instagram of a girl who, who used to attend here. She used to sit right over here. And uh, she was, a, she was a, a single Christian. She was married, but she attended church alone. I know there's lots of you in that kind of category here. And we prayed for her husband, went and had dinner with him one time. And uh, then they moved away. Didn't really think much of it. And she messaged me. I don't have the whole message. It's a little longer than I'd probably want to read in this time. But, but she said, hey, you'll never believe it. But Fred is, uh, he was saved. He was saved in church. Started coming to church, and he's getting baptized here in just a couple weeks. And it was just this amazing reminder that, like, you know, I don't know what kind of seeds we're starting here, but, but God's responsible for the harvest, isn't he? Our role is just to plant the seeds. It's amazing. Dude, then I got this one. This is crazy. Y'all know the Hurts? The Hurts sit right up here, Daniel and Sandy Hurt. They, uh, they're over in Thailand doing some ministry right now. This, this is going to blow your mind. He texted me. He said, hey, Pastor Austin, things are going well here. I'm sorry, they're in India, here in India. Thank you for your prayers. As you may know, we train our pastors and have a program to evangelize unreached villages. In one newly reached village, a group of radicals have been holding weekly meetings to do witchcraft against the new believers and form a strategy to remove Christianity from that area. That was different than your week, wasn't it? <laughs> In our weekly Zoom, we've been praying for that village by name. God is at work and he's done an amazing miracle. Nine days ago, the five ringleaders of that cult have all become mute at once. None of them can make a sound, just like John the Baptist's father. Now they've requested prayer from the pastor of the village. This has become known throughout the whole area this week and is bringing attention and glory to God. Pray with us that God's purpose would be fulfilled in this and that many will come into the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Listen up. The devil works hard, but Jesus is working harder, isn't he? I just love that. Then you know what, like a lot of you know, there was a young 37-year-old gal, part of this church, Casey, and she was going in for a heart procedure on Tuesday this week. And she experienced the worst possible thing that you can experience during a heart procedure. Her, her heart stopped. She flatlined on the table and she was out for several minutes. And we all got the text, we all got the call that she's in the ICU, she's on ice. They're keeping her sedated. They're trying to figure out what her brain activity looks like. Well, I'll tell you this, yesterday, I got a text from Christian, her husband, that she was awake and she was sitting up and she was recognizing people that were in the room with her. And, and like there was a moment there where nobody, nobody knew, nobody really thought. Doctors didn't know, is this gonna end well? Praise God, she was, she's not, she's not there yet. She's got a long road of recovery to go, but God did something amazing in her. Amen? And so listen, I just, I don't wanna miss a moment here where if you maybe have a story that you wanna write down during this fast, maybe God's doing something in your life. There are cards in your seats. There's the form on the website. You can fill something out. But if you want to testify of something God's up to you right now, now would be, that'd be a great time in this response time. Let's throw that last slide up, just some response questions. These are things that I can't really ask of you. These are things that I think you can really only ask the Holy Spirit. But I just want to know, are you, are you running aimlessly right now? Or are you chasing after an imperishable wreath? Are you chasing after stuff that eventually is going to pass away? Or are you chasing after a crown of glory that's never going to fade? 
What specific things in your life are, are hindering you that you're facing when it comes to your faith? Where are the hindrances for you personally? Here's the last question, and maybe the most bold one for you to even ask of yourself is, do you even want to change? Comfortable actually feels really comfortable. We can get really stuck there. God doesn't call us to a life of comfort. He calls us to a life of devotion. And so do you want to change? Do you want to let go of that sin? Do you want to let go of that thing that you know is distracting you, but you won't let it go? Again, these aren't things I can ask you, but these are things that I'm asking if you'd be courageous enough, maybe you would ask the Holy Spirit. And here's the best prayer I have for you if you're kind of finding yourself waning in your faith this morning, is God, I don't want to follow after you with my whole heart. Would you help me want to? Ask God for desire this morning. Ask God for hunger this morning, if you're feeling that bold. And so Father, we come to you in this time of communion. We ask that you would speak to us. Help us as we receive your elements to experience your presence here in this room right now. And as we maybe inventory through these questions, God, I pray that you would speak, would you prompt, and would you lead in a way that only your spirit could. We trust you, God. We wanna follow after you with everything we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna give you guys about five minutes and I'm gonna come up and dismiss us. If God prompted something during that time, I'd encourage you, put it somewhere where you'll see it. Don't just trust your memory to bring it back up this week. Put it in your phone, make a reminder, write it down in a journal. But if, and if you need to take a minute just to do that real quick, I would do that. If you're ready, would you stand? I'd love our prayer team to go ahead and make your way down even right now. Um, maybe it's not something you need to write down, but it's something that you need to talk through with somebody. And I'd just love to invite you. Our prayer team, they're right up front. You could even come talk to them right now. Uh, they're wonderful people. They'd love to chat with you. They'd love to pray with you. Um, regardless, whatever's going on in your life. As we end this week, I'd love if we could just kind of cup our hands out in front of us like this. Holy Spirit, we just trust that you are, you're stirring something up in us. You're stirring something else up in us to, to press in to see more of Jesus this year than maybe we've seen before in our life. God, whatever we have to let go of, whatever we have to say no to, would you empower us and strengthen us to do it in your power, Jesus? God, we wanna follow after you. We wanna press into everything that you are. God, we wanna see your glory presented all throughout this city. As we turn our attention now to, to leaving, walking out of here, it's kind of a benediction. I just ask, God, would you bless us and keep us? Would your face shot upon us? Would you be gracious to us? And would you give us peace as we leave today? Help us carry you with us wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.